One day, a lawyer approaches Jesus. Jesus is now heading towards Jerusalem, knowing the end of his life is on the horizon. That's what Lent is, our journey with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, on his way to the cross. This portion of Luke is a collection of stories and teachings in the last days of Jesus's life. This lawyer would have been someone who was familiar with particularly the Jewish law. He would have been one to determine whether something was legal according to the Torah, the books of the law, our first five books of the Bible. He knew the laws backwards and forwards. He applied them to others and brought down judgments. And he asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And when Jesus flips the question back on him, the lawyer very wisely responds from the law that he knows. According to the Torah, he must love God and love his neighbor as he loves himself. But this lawyer or teacher or religious scholar, as different translations names him, um, wants to be certain. He wants to know who is my neighbor? Who does he have to love? Or really, maybe the question could be more put more accurately, who do I have to love or who don't I have to love? There has to be a list here of people, of groups of folks, neighborhoods, personality types, other religions and ethnicities and races that, that I don't have to love, right? They, they aren't my neighbors. And Jesus takes that question and, and flips it upside down. I wish that when I was under pressure like this, when somebody was um, seeking to, to, to nail me on something, that I had this sense of mind that Jesus has. Is he simply doesn't answer or give a list of things. This is what the lawyer would have been used to. Um, something like the law that was in the Torah or, or all of the additional laws that they had added. Just give me the basic requirements. But, but Jesus flips it. The truth, though, is that throughout the Old Testament, God tells the Israelites who they are to love. God tells them the point of it all. It is to care for those on the outside, for those on the margins, for the poor and the powerless. That's what they're punished for. That's when God's heart is broken by them. Not for a law they did or did not follow, not for something they didn't eat or did eat or whether they washed their hands in the right way at the right time. But still, the laws were being perpetuated as the most important thing to show your devotion to God. So Jesus creates a story for this man and probably for a crowd that would be listening. A man is traveling on the road in this story when he is attacked. We know nothing about this man. If he's wealthy, old, young, Jewish, Samaritan. As the lands that Romans conquered began to spread, as those territories spread out, they built elaborate road systems to get between all of their territories. It's part of what allowed the message of Jesus and Christianity to to spread in a way that it would not have had been able to at any earlier point in history. But these roads were long. There were no gas stations or streetlights along the way. No cops hiding out to try to catch speeding donkeys. They were often lawless places where poor criminals saw an opportunity to prey upon travelers. Under the Roman Empire, a majority of its subjects were impoverished. 
wealth was concentrated amongst the top one to three percent of the population. Actually similar to the U.S. today. Listeners likely would have known someone who had met this fate while traveling or at least heard the stories. This is a common scenario that Jesus is setting up. It's interesting that we are given no details about this man who's attacked or about the robbers. Those details don't matter in Jesus' story. But it is the one who's robbed who's either ignored or taken care of. He is the neighbor that we're supposed to love. And all we know is that he needed help. He could have been a religious leader. He could have been wealthy, which maybe makes a little more sense about why he was robbed. He had more to take, but that's total speculation because that doesn't matter. We'll come back to the one on the the road later on. A priest and a Levite pass by in succession. Each moves to the other side of the road or refuses to stop by. They could have feared very legitimately that they too would be victims. They could have had their own stuff going on. (laughs) Maybe they just helped someone the day before or in an hour before and they were at their limit. There's a common explanation that we use that because they would have um, had religious duties uh, as religious leaders, they could have been on their way to perform some duty in the temple and didn't want to become unclean. But as the commentary, uh, one of the commentaries that I read this week pointed out, they're leaving Jerusalem, headed the opposite way. That detail is important. They're clearly not on their way to perform anything at the temple. But it is true that being unclean would have been an inconvenience and a hassle. And maybe in this moment, that just felt like too much to handle. A Samaritan is next along the road. Jews hated Samaritans. There's a reference in scripture of the Old Testament that this was a group of people that were a mix of Jews and other locals in an area where these Jews had been moved to. It would have been against the law to marry those who were not Jewish, but a deep dive this week into historical records shows their disdain for those known as Samaritans may be a little more complicated and maybe not all one-sided. But the truth is that Samaritans were dehumanized their whole lives by Jewish people. If there was anyone who had the right or would be excused for walking on the other side or just passing by, it would have been the Samaritan. But the Samaritan goes out of his way to care for the man on the road to ensure his care and recovery back to health and is willing to fund all of the care for him. Remember, though, that this initial question by the lawyer was about eternal life, how to get it, how to be justified for your actions or your inaction. He uses a story of a man who's in need of compassion. Jesus does. This isn't about the law. Loving God and loving self is about how we care for the one who needs it the most. And then Jesus goes one more step to say that it wasn't the rule following religious Jews who loved their neighbor well or or loved someone well. It was a Samaritan, someone they despised. Kindness can be found in the most unlikely places. The Samaritan would have been a polarizing figure. 
we do know a little bit about polarizing figures these days. So imagine that Jesus was telling the story and he said to you that someone who looked just like you walked on the other side of the road. And the one that loved his neighbor well was maybe somebody wearing a Feel the Burn shirt or a Black Lives Matter shirt or a red Make America Great Again hat. Jesus wants this lawyer to understand that it's not just about being right or wrong. It's not about being justified. To love God means to love people, even those we do not agree with. It is to care for the least of these, even when it's inconvenient, even when we'd rather not. We have entered into a season of Lent, which reminds us of our humanity. That's why it feels a little dark, a little foreboding. From dust we came and to dust we shall return. Lent levels the playing field just like Jesus did with this parable. It did not matter if you were justified. It did not matter what your lineage was. It did not matter what you did for a living. Earthly and heavenly matters are intimately connected. We've all been one of these people in this story at some point. Hopefully, we've had our moments where we are like the Good Samaritan, where we go out of our way to help the one who needs it the most. But sometimes we're also like the lawyer, wanting to justify our disdain, our lack of love for the world. Sometimes we want to know just what's the bare minimum you're calling me to do, Jesus. Sometimes we want to see ourselves as better than others. Sometimes we've been the ones who've passed by. Good people, recognized for their leadership, but for whatever reason, didn't stop to help a dying man. Couldn't get too close to the suffering. Couldn't get too close to the wounds. I wanted to stay a distance away to ensure that they were different from the one laying on the road. Sometimes we just don't feel that we have the bandwidth to help other people. And sometimes we're like the man on the side of the road. We're in need of help. We will always need help at some point. We cannot avoid it. We cannot protect ourselves enough, plan enough, come up with enough contingency plans, do just the right things. We will always need help. And this is part of that beauty in in unexpected places. We love our neighbors as ourselves because we need others to love us as well. Much has been reported this week about the power grid in Texas. Political leaders years ago in that great Texas and America individualistic nature decided that they could do it themselves. They did not want or need to be connected to other power grids. That way they wouldn't suffer if the rest of the country did. They could be in control. But that didn't happen. And the people are paying the price of deregulation. And the people with power making the decisions not to invest in the power infrastructure of Texas are still profiting and pointing fingers for who is actually responsible. I heard an interview with one of the leading health officials in South Africa in in another story in which she said that much of South Africa will not be immunized until 2023. 
As countries with more power and more resources scramble for limited supply, they're left out. And their own infrastructure is not equipped to handle a crisis like this. But all the while, while they're not being vaccinated, the variations of the virus will continue to grow. Not only will it affect our health, but pieces of our economy that rely on exports and imports from these poorer parts of the world will also suffer. This week, I've seen the idea of loving your neighbor as yourself displayed in current events. One political leader out of Texas tweeted that an organization that he'd been volunteering with made over 151,000 calls to senior citizens in Texas in one night. He said one of our volunteers talked to a man stranded at home without power. He hadn't eaten in two days. They got him a ride to a warming center and a hot meal. Another person that I follow on Instagram was sharing direct messages from folks out of Texas, trying to connect people who needed to be in homes with power with those who had power. Complete strangers were sending out messages of, we have a power here and an extra bedroom. Even we have power and a a crib, an extra crib. Who needs to come and stay in our home? Churches have been turned into warming and feeding centers to meet the demands. Realizing that we're all connected is how we love our neighbor as ourselves. It's as simple as that. When you thrive, I thrive. When you offer me help, I can take it knowing we're connected. You will need help someday. And that's why I will offer you help. This is why I don't think Jesus gives us any details of the man who'd been attacked on the road because it allows us all to see ourselves as him. This is what the kingdom of God is like, that we love our God with all that we are, our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, and that we realize we cannot go it alone. We are connected. We need each other desperately. We need to pay attention to those who need us. There is power in stepping outside of our worlds that honestly often feel like too much as they are, to help one who needs it even more than we do. That's where we experience the kingdom of God. But it's also realizing that we need other people, that we need to ask for help, that we will all be the person on the side of the road. In receiving grace and mercy from others, we experience the kingdom of God. On Thursday, actually, as I was writing this sermon, I stopped for a little while to watch the NASA station in my office as they landed the latest rover on Mars, the Perseverance. This landing has been even more difficult than it would normally be to land a rover on Mars um, because of all of the challenges created by COVID. Getting parts, finding new ways to work together, There was one gentleman, a senior official, who was giving some commentary of some of the experience for those of us watching. And at the end, he said, breathless with excitement and relief, this is what happens when we work together. Any problem can be solved. We can do anything when we work together. And that is true for NASA and it's true for the world. This week, as we remember that we are 
from dust and to dust we shall return. May we live with the humility that allows us to love God with all that we are and the humility to know that we are all humans. We are all made from dust and to dust we shall return. May we extend grace and be willing to receive grace and love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself.